0: The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. A young girl struggles to come to terms with the chaos around her in the new book, Hey Home Girl. And the author, Lachelle Rivers, is joining me now, right now in the Reader House Author Roundtable. Lachelle, thank you for being here with me tonight.
1: It's so great. I'll say "Hey, homeboy." You're my "Hey, home." I'm gonna say "Hey, homeboy" to
0: you. Oh wow! <laughs> well, can I say "Hey, homegirl" back?
1: Yes, you can. Because yes,
0: that's what can. I want to know about. I want to know about "Hey, homegirl" and what's going on in this book.
1: Well, you know how you know a lot of guys have that one girl in the group. That's the uh, you know the girl they hang with. That's their homegirl, not their girlfriend. Like the girl they treat like a sister and all that stuff. Same thing with friends and stuff. I was just, you know, that homegirl. I wasn't that special girl. I was just that, oh, we don't have nothing to do. Let's call a shout. You know? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I love the attention. But after a while, as you grow older, you would be like, oh, I'm not liking it so much. So, you know, but I feel like being that homegirl sometimes. So
0: it's cool. And you certainly faced an awful lot growing up. Can you go into it a little bit and what you experienced?
1: It's a bullying thing. A lot of people go through the bullying thing growing up but when you have a dysfunctional family and especially if you have you're that little sister that a big sister, some people just go through bullying throughout the family and the family back then in the eighties You know, when the drugs was like very hardcore and that's the only way they can make money, I guess it was, you know, seeing people die and a lot of people in the family dying and starting to move around because you want to get away from that sort of thing. You know, with my mom and you got parents that divorce when you're a little kid. They think, well, you know, they think of the kid last. Put it that way. They think of the kid last. A lot of things your parents done, you learn from. That's why I never got married. (laughs) (laughs) Put it that way. I never got married. I became mentally ill. I'm, I'm disabled now. I wasn't born mentally ill, but mental disability is a big thing that needs to be spoken of. You know, I have epilepsy and bipolarism. They took a piece of my brain out. Just because you don't see the disability doesn't mean that person isn't really disabled. So, this is take, say, it takes some, you know, I, I think more before I speak now. I had a seizure while driving, and even after that, they didn't know I had epilepsy. It took another seizure. After that, it took three seizures before they realized something was wrong with me. And I had to serve jail time because I had a seizure on the, while driving and took some life, you know? Oh, my god. But I shouldn't have um, been driving in the first place because the first thing on their mind was you don't have car insurance. So I had to serve time for that. Sell my house, sell everything. So I know what it's like to have it all and lose it all. Material things don't mean as much once you've gone
0: through that. That's what I'm gathering from all of this is, in the end, it's all about hope.
1: Yeah, I mean, keep hope alive because I've done some crazy things, you know. <laughs> I've been, a lot of things you get into that you don't think you're going to get into because after the brain surgery, I tried doing my artwork. You know, I could still paint. I was like, well, I can still paint. So they take that part of my brain out. So I really tried getting into my artwork and traveling with my art and stuff. But, you know, so I still tried. I snuck on the White House grounds. I wasn't one of those people that got caught, you know. <laughs> so, I went to the White House during Easter and said, hey, Al Roker's my uncle and they let me right there, you know, just so I can show my other book because I did a book before this one trying to get my um type of art out there.
0: Lachelle, how do you do it? You've gone through so much in your life. I mean, every time you just pile it on and there's something else that you've <laughs> dealt with, how do you keep your fun, positive attitude having gone through that?
1: I mean, because there's always someone going through worse. And I've been homeless before, but when I take walks with my dog and I see them, I be like, damn, those are some good-ass tents. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they're homeless, but they be rocking some nice tents outside now, man. And they even have the restrooms outside and stuff. I was like, I ain't go. I didn't have this when I was homeless. <laughs> 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 and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> Lachelle, thank you for using your creativity, your passion, your humor, and your, your outlook to reach out and help others based on what you've gone through in your life it's so important the name of your book is hey Home Girl." this is by lachelle rivers published by fulton books you can find it at amazon barnes and noble itunes google play and everywhere else you shop for your books well hey Home Girl, thank you for joining me tonight it's been wonderful
1: thank you homeboy you have a good one
0: Author Tommy Rusick says there's more to the story of the birth of Jesus than you might know about. In his new book, The Gift of the Lamb. Tommy is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Tommy, thank you for joining me tonight.
2: Well, you're very welcome.
0: So, there's more to the story of Jesus' birth. Can you tell us about what you say in your book?
2: Well, you know, we've read so many different accounts of the Nativity and the night that Jesus was born. And I always wanted to write a story about this topic, but I I didn't want to do the same old thing over and over again. My book is is the same story, but it's a story from the animal's point of view. Now, there were, on the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem that the Holy Family took, they had two donkeys. And so the story starts from the points of view from the two donkeys carrying the Holy Family on their journey to Bethlehem then once they got to the stable there there are other animals and the point is that did the animals just stand around and watch all this being happening to the holy family and the answer is no the animals have their own story starting with the donkeys and then proceeding to the animals that actually lived in the stable each one of those animals groups of animals they have their own story on what they did on Christmas Eve to prepare for the Nativity of Jesus.
0: This is a really unique take on the story. What kinds of readers did you write this for?
2: Well, it's written so that a, a child can understand, but all my books are for, either for children or adults. The perfect setting for this book would be for a family to read the story on Christmas Eve to their children, And look at the illustrations. We go from the donkeys to the oxen to goats and a cow and a wolf and uh, lambs and sheep. And each one of these animals has their own story. And like I said, it's for children and and also for adults. I think it's a very interesting story. It's different from your your regular stories.
0: Is this the first time you've been published or the first book you've written?
2: This is my second. I published a book about 13 years ago. And it was called From God to Man. And that book was a story about how the universe was created from the Big Bang all the way up to Adam and Eve. It's a story about how God got together with four helpers, four archangels, and they decided to create a brand new universe. And the the good thing about this is that the science in the book is true. I have a background in science and religion. And so I made that book fit into the seven days that God created the world. But with all the science that went along with it, from the algae to the birds to the plants, all the way up through Earth's history, that was my first attempt in writing a book.
0: And do you have more in store? Are you working on more books?
2: <laughs> well, I, I am completing book number three, which is another story about an animal, about my dog Charlie. And it's also his adoption and his life through his first three years from his point of view. I would really like to get that book published. So we'll see what happens.
0: What advice would you have now for aspiring authors?
2: Well, the thing is that you get your ideas from your experiences. I was a, a research chemist, and I'm also a religious person, and I'm an amateur astronomer. So you put all these three things together. I read a lot, and then I think about things. And whatever you can think about, you, you, you can write about. Just come up with different ideas. if you. If you have different explanations for things or just a story, just your basic, easy story. You can just sit down and write about it if, if, if you're inclined to do so.
0: I certainly admire the creativity behind this book. You've got my interest with it, and I encourage listeners to check this out. This is The Gift of the Lamb by Tommy Russick, published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and everywhere else you shop for your books. Well, Tommy, thank you for coming on the show tonight. It was great talking with you tonight.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Readers will connect with wildlife in author Greg Monroe's new book, Keoke, the Cherokee Boy. Greg's joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Greg, thank you for talking with me tonight. Thank you for having me, sir. Can you tell me about Keoke, the Cherokee Boy?
3: Well, he's a young, adventurous, Cherokee boy, who's bored with village life, he sneaks out of the village to um, roam the forest searching for adventure, and in the course of his adventures, he encounters animals such as crow, otter, and wolf, and as he befriends them, they teach him virtues like patience, wisdom, loyalty, and so forth. He ends up forging a close relationship with these animals, and they accompany him and protect him on his adventures. As the book goes on, in the course of his, of his adventures, he becomes something of a mystery to his fellow villagers and his father. And the book ends with Kioki, his father, and his animal friends making a great journey to a distant village in order to find an answer to the mystery that is Kyoki.
0: This sounds like a really fun way to communicate those important values to children. What age range would you say this is good for?
3: Well, initially when I wrote it, I was targeting children ages 8 through 14, but uh, since the book's been published and released, I've actually received positive feedback from adults who enjoyed the book as well.
0: Is this the first time you've been published? Yes, sir. Congratulations. Thank How you. does that feel?
3: It feels really good. It's just kind of like uh, reaching a milestone in life. I'm kind of a goal-oriented person. I like to set goals for myself, and it always feels good when you set a goal and you achieve it.
0: About how long did it take you to write this?
3: Well, that's a funny story. Maybe a little bit embarrassing. Um, I actually started it years ago. I was knee deep in a career that I just retired from here about two years ago. I started it, worked on it a while, set back from it as a career, social, and family events kind of interrupted its progress. And then when I retired, like I said, about two years ago, I got back into it and decided to go ahead and finish and, uh, and, you, know, try to get it published.
0: Now that you've gone through all that, do you have advice for aspiring authors?
3: Well, yes, sir.
0: now I don't know
3: how much it's worth because you know I'm a new author myself, but I've run into a lot of people that have told me they've always thought about writing a book. What little advice I can give being a new author, I've said, go for it. you know, write the only the only way to do it is um, start putting words on paper and do it. There's probably, a lot of people out there that are excellent writers and could could get a book published that never try because they're afraid to even.
0: Now, being that you're a goal-oriented person, have you set a goal for another book?
3: Yes, sir. I've actually, I started a, a sequel where um, Kyoki learns some things about what his future holds for him. It kind of touches on the concept of destiny, whether or not you believe in destiny, but the concept that all things from the tiniest creature to humans have a certain purpose in life, whether it's a great purpose or small purpose. So Keoke finds out that he has a destiny. Throughout the book, he has a hard time coming to grips with it because it's kind of scary to him. But the second book is about him coming to grips with it and deciding to uh, go ahead and trying to fulfill that destiny. I won't say what it is because I want to leave that, you know, to the readers when the book comes out.
0: Well, thank you for all the hard work and the passion that's gone into this book. This is Keoki the Cherokee Boy by Greg Monroe, published by Fulton Books. You can pick it up on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else where you would shop for your books. Well, Greg, thanks again for coming on the show tonight. It was great chatting with you. Thank you,
3: sir. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Whatever You Like is the new book by Cassie Ellis that celebrates our individuality. I'm talking with Cassie right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Cassie, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me tonight.
4: Hi, Corey. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You are very welcome. I'm excited to be talking with you as well. So I love that you're celebrating our differences, our individuality with whatever you like can you tell me more about it
4: yes so it is a very friendly rhyme book for children and it just focuses on our different interests you know how we all you know like different things and enjoy different
0: things which i think is very important especially at a time like this when things seem to be dividing people more than bringing them together
4: Yes, exactly. It's very necessary, you know, to know that it's not our differences that separate us, you know, but can still bring us together.
0: And it's great that you're giving that message to children and starting early so that they know that this is just a normal way of life. Yes. So about how long were you working on this? It
4: took a little over a year. It was always a thought. And then I just finally sat down, took the time to, you know, get started. So i very happy that it's now finished and it's out
0: there and just hoping to get it in the hands of, you know, as many children as possible. Absolutely. Was there anything in particular that inspired you to do this or gave you the idea for the book?
4: You know, I think it kind of goes back to what we were saying about, you know, just the differences. And I know it's kind of easier to accept and deal with when Things are what you're familiar with or you share the same interests and likes as someone else. But to just highlight that we all are different,
0: I just felt it was just really needed at this time for children. For sure. Do you have an age range of children you think this is best for? I do. Ages four to eight years old. Fantastic. Is this the first time you've been published? It
4: is, yes.
0: Congratulations. That's a big deal.
4: (laughs) Yes, thank you so much.
0: So how'd you feel when it finally hit shelves, it's out there for the world?
4: It was really an exciting process. And just to know now it's available to be purchased, it was just the highlight. <laughs> it's like, okay, finally I can see it. And now I can actually, you know, have a copy and family and friends. And, you know, so it's been really, really exciting.
0: Do you have any advice now for authors who are looking to go down that same road and publish for the first time?
4: It's important to stay committed to your process and everyone's process is different. So just, you know, keep going and stay focused.
0: It's just very important. Are you going to continue writing? Do you have plans to pursue publishing more?
4: I do. I've actually started working on a series of books which teaches core concepts to children like self-love, humility, and gratitude. Just all the important. Core values that are very much needed in our youth and younger generations as well.
0: A lot of authors get stuck for ideas sometimes. The words just don't come. Does that happen to you? Do you get writer's block? And then how do you get out of it?
4: I do get writer's block during the writing process. But when it comes to ideals, I'm, you know, a bit creative. So I always have a great story inside of me, something I want to share. So yeah, but writer's block. You know, you just have to step away, step back, give yourself a moment, and then eventually, you know, you'll get back motivated and overcome it.
0: I encourage readers to give this a shot. This is Whatever You Like by Cassie Ellis, published by Fulton Books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for your books. Cassie, thank you again for coming on the show with me tonight. I had a great time talking with you.
4: I did as well, Corey, and thank you so much again for having me, and you enjoy the rest of your evening.
0: Reverend Michael Penato looks to inspire and motivate readers with his new book, Life is a Journey. Michael is here with me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Michael, thank you for joining me tonight. You're welcome. Can you tell me all about your book? My book is about life is a journey, and the reason
5: why I say life is a journey From the day we were born, we all embark on this journey to fulfill our destiny. And target readers that I'm looking for is people of all ages and aspiration of life. And I do hope they would appreciate my title because they, too, are on this journey and they, too, must fulfill their destiny.
0: Is this the first time you've been published, then? Yes. Well, congratulations. About how long were you working on it? I was working on this book for about
5: 10 years because during that time i was constructing the westbury divine church of god so i was compiling my thoughts and after 10 years it was in between that i was putting bits and pieces together and then i finally
0: complete the book in one year so what inspired or persuaded you to actually sit down and write this my family I decided to leave a legacy behind for my
5: family, to leave for generations following that they will see my accomplishment in life
0: and how also it can inspire others. And now that you've published your first book and you've been through the writing, you've been through the editing, do you have advice for aspiring authors?
5: Yes. My advice for uh, aspiring authors is that they should compile their information and get themselves a title and begin writing.
0: How have your personal experiences, things that you've gone through in your life, affected what's gone into this book? I was ruled out by my
5: teacher in elementary school as a duffer. This is mentioned in my book. Therefore, this book is also for everyone that has been put down to let them know they can succeed and live out their full potential despite the opinion of others.
0: To you, what was the most rewarding aspect of becoming published?
5: to know that my book will be published across the United States and different parts of the world to influence others to know that they can succeed and
0: that will be a blessing to humanity. It's indeed one of the blessings of writing is that you can connect with so many people in so many different places all over the world. So how did you feel seeing that your book was out there? You were published the first time. What kind of feelings did you have? It was the feeling of exuberance, ecstasy, and great accomplishment. And what kind of a reader are you? You know, oftentimes the writers are the most avid readers. So what kind of things do you read in your spare time?
5: Well, I read all different kind of books in my spare time. Many
0: different kind of books. The Bible is my number one book, but I read many other books. Is there a person in your life that's most inspired you along this whole journey of writing?
5: Yes. I thought of Martin Luther King, and I listened to him very much. And I read a book some time ago about Soar Like an Eagle, written by Reverend Tatum D. Wilson. That also inspired me to write. And I read another book written by Dr. Margaret Ellis, and it's a very influential book about people who want to succeed in life and how they can succeed and, and
0: not to give up because they can be great influence on other people. While you were writing this, did you ever get stuck for ideas, where to go next, what to write next, the proverbial writer's block situation?
5: Well, I I cannot say I did get stuck. One thing I know is that during the time of constructing the the new church building, I had to take sometimes a year off or two years off before going back to start writing again. And once I start writing,
0: then things start flowing well, thank you for using your gifts and your talents and your experiences to reach out and help people all over the world. This book is called Life is a Journey. It's by Reverend Michael Pinotto, published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and everywhere else. You pick up your reading material. Well, Michael, thank you again for coming on the show with me tonight. It was great talking with you.
5: You're welcome, Corey. God bless and thank you for interviewing me concerning Life is
0: a Journey. A fantastical journey continues in Christiane Van Kuren's new book, Sylvan Elf Chronicles, Battle for Elvenfield, Book 3. I'm talking with Christiane right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Christiane, thank you for joining me tonight.
6: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: So can you tell us what happens in Book 3?
6: Well, in Book 3, the uh, three pieces get together, which happen to be three individuals. They work together and they have to get the troops together and everybody has to, if they end up coming back, they try to find Nallis, who is the bad boy in the whole thing. But he's already taken off for protection to Slithun Mountain. Mountain. So, and then he, they find out that his ultimate goal is to attack Elvenfeld, which is the original home and castle of the Graces. So they have to get back there and get it shored up and protect it from Nellis as he comes with his troops to attack and destroy everything.
0: Now, of course, fantasy fans are going to really, really enjoy this. Did you have sort of a, another uh, readership group, I guess, in mind for this as far as like an age group?
6: Nope. I've had everybody from the age of 11 on up, read it. Uh, men and women. So it doesn't matter what the sex or the age is. It's just it's there.
0: So being book three, is this the end of a trilogy or are you
6: continuing? This is the end of the trilogy, but what I also was writing is uh, going back to a prequel of how the graces were chosen. It's It's going to be called The Earth, The Elements, and The Chosen, and how Mother Earth worked with the elements to pick children at conception to become the graces, which were the guardians of the earth to assist her in the elements in protecting it. So this is basically what it comes down to, that Nalice was one of the ones that things weren't right to begin with with him, and then he is a control freak, and he's obnoxious, and if he can't have it, he breaks it or kills it. One of those type.
0: (laughs) Where do you find inspiration? How do you get your ideas to weave such complex, fantastical tales?
6: I don't know. I just started with when I was going to work one morning and I happened to go across the Kingston-Reincorff Bridge and I saw these really weird forms in the river and from they were coming, basically, they looked like little ghosty figures coming back towards the sunlight. And I said, oh, that'd be a cool opening for a story. And I just started and it just went from there. And I don't know, it just was, you know, it just sounded really neat and trying to have the magical number with the Celts and with some of the other things is three. So you had to have three partners that work together. It couldn't be just one person. So she is not by herself. Kayleen, she is one of the leads. And then we have little Bertram Brindleby, who is our little Widgeon, who's been around since way back when. And he is kind of their guardian, but he knows everything that's going on. And that's when she also, she finds out who exactly she is. She just thought she, you know, was a typical 17, 18-year-old girl getting ready to graduate high school and then go on and do some things. And that's when she finds out, you know, she's having these weird dreams of things of... I recognize these places, but I've never been there, like a deja vu type of thing, which is actually what that is, is her alter ego. It's not really her alter ego. What it is, is the one grace that had been killed and released, the soul released shows her at the moment of conception. So the two of them, their souls are entwined. So she's come back so that they can, you know, work together and get rid of now for good.
0: Oh uh, well wonderful we're we're certainly looking forward to more from you this sounds like just an incredible end to a great trilogy this is Sylvan Elf Chronicles Battle for Elvenfield Book Three by Christiane Van Curran published by Fulton Books you can find it at Amazon Barnes and Noble iTunes Google Play and everywhere else you shop for books well, Christiane it was great speaking with you tonight thank you so much for coming on the show with me
6: oh thank you and it's been a pleasure.
0: If young adult fiction is your thing, and you're also a sports fan, this next book is for you. Soaring Eagles is the new book by Wes Folsom, who's joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Wes, thanks for being here tonight with me. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Corey. Can you tell us about Soaring Eagles?
7: Well, it's about a mountain boy runner with failing vision from a disease called keratoconus. It's a blurry vision. He wants to win a cross-country championship, and his training partner is an American bald eagle. That's kind of a question right there. His father, years ago when he was in high school, wanted to win a cross-country championship, and he was cheated out of it by two rival families over a lost auction, and it caused a great problem in the family. So he trains on the mountain land and saves an eaglet from a tornado. And he brings it back, and he's declared a hero, and he's nicknamed the Eagle Boy in the local newspaper. He faces the same two families that hindered his father's situation with the land, and now he faces the next generation of boys. Is this the first time you've been published? This is the first time I've been published, yes. I actually first wrote it as a screenplay, and in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher had a, a school decathlon championship. I won the school decathlon championship my first semester. I won it my second semester. In uh, 12th grade, as I ran cross country and, and track, I qualified for the championships for Northern League of Los Angeles City, and I was on the starting line, in about 10 seconds before the race, Mr. Osborne, my sixth grade teacher, he pulled my name out 10 seconds before the race went up. I looked at him up in the stands, and he gave me thumbs up, and I knew I would not lose that race. And I won the race by two-tenths of a second,
0: earned a scholarship to college where I ran for four years, even ran up to 100 miles a week in training. Wow, wow, what an amazing story. I know forgiveness plays a huge role in this book. Can you talk about that? Oh,
7: yes. My premise of this mountain story is forgiveness triumphs over generational persecution and it's also a father-son story billy wants to restore his father's lost honor by winning the same championship his father was cheated out of winning but he faces the same two families who now have sons his same age and so it's like a repeat performance which happens too much in life in the desperate situation as things go he's kicked out of school he winds up at another boy's home But they finally have a challenge between the big school and his boy's home. They've been training. And as it turns out, there becomes a life and death situation. And the two teams who hate each other have to work together to save each other's lives. The only way that works is they have to have forgiveness for each other. They're changed. That's what I want to do. I want to change people's lives. I've been a teacher and a coach. I've coached 16 state champions in track and field and cross country. And I did that by looking at what drives a student. And then I say, here's what you have to do to earn that goal. And I I hold them accountable. And I've had 16 state champions.
0: That's a testament to great leadership. Well, thank you for your passion and passing on such important qualities to the next generation. This is Soaring Eagles by Wes Folsom, published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and everywhere else you shop for your books. Wes, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had a great time chatting with you. Thank you, Corey. Moving to a new home is a major event in a child's life. And author Todd LeJay shows them how it can be a positive experience in his new book, Gabby the Giraffe Gets a New Home. I want to welcome Todd to the show right now. Todd, thank you for being here with me tonight.
8: Thank you, Corey. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here with you.
0: Can you tell me what Gabby the Giraffe Gets a New Home is all about?
8: Sure. Gabby the Giraffe Gets a New Home is about a young adolescent giraffe that has several friends in her life. Of those are Ethan the Elephant, Rylan the Rhino, and Brianna Songbird. They live at an animal park and they find out that they're gonna be making a move to the state zoo. Well, when they find this information to be true, what ends up happening is there's some anxious feelings, there's some reservations at hand. And not knowing what is in front of them, they learn that through this move from the animal park to the zoo can be a positive experience. When they get to the zoo, they make new friends, they learn new things, and they also come to the place where they realize that moving is not such a terrible thing. It's, it's a good thing. And that's what I wanted to convey to the parents. You know, if you have trouble with your child in a move, that they can read this book and use this book to help them come to grips with that there are a lot of positive outcomes to make it a move.
0: What a wonderful message there is there. What was your inspiration for writing this?
8: my son, uh, being a father, reading to him and him learning to read through the years, I saw that there were a lot of books about various subjects, but very few books are given attention to wildlife and even those that are focused on wildlife, many of them don't seem to have a message on home. So with that being said, being a zoo volunteer and a wildlife conservationist at heart, loving wildlife I wanted to join the two worlds reading and wildlife and then right in the middle of it I wanted to sandwich a good message about home or some type of life application skill
0: what would you say the age range is for children who would benefit the most
8: the age range for this book as I've spoke with several educators and one school system in particular I had them to look at the book and they put it into their reading system they have a system that they can plug in a paragraph or two or certain words They tell me that it is second grade, non-supported. And then there toward the end of the book, there's a little bit of third grade reading level due to compound sentences. So I would say an average between first and third grade.
0: Is this the first time you've been published or written a book?
8: It is, actually. This is my first one. I do have another one that I'm working on currently, and I'm excited about it. But this is my first published work.
0: That is such a huge accomplishment, a big milestone in your life. What are your feelings knowing that, wow, a book of yours is up there and people are reading it?
8: Well, it's very fulfilling, but one thing that continues to bless me and keeps me writing and keeps the excitement about what is happening here is seeing the look on children's faces. Several people who have already bought the book have sent me pictures of their children reading the book and then pictures of them reading the book to their children, some success stories. I'll give a little bit of the book away here. The very last sentence of the book says, let's go to the zoo. And one of the things that several parents have told me jokingly is, thank you, now we have to buy zoo tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's exactly what I wanted was the kid to love reading the book, and then also I wanted the, the child to to be able to love wildlife. So. I felt like I had accomplished what I set out to do in publishing this book. And so that's what is fueling me to continue and is what is the blessing here for me.
0: Gabby the Giraffe gets a new home by Todd Leger. You can pick it up at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else that you buy your books. This was published by Fulton Books. Well, Todd, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for putting these messages out to kids and also, like I said, getting some support out there for our zoos.
8: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that.
0: If you spend a lot of time in your car on the road, there's no doubt you've seen or even experienced some pretty crazy things. I'm talking right now with author Diana Pengitor and her new book, Still Driving?, collects some of her more interesting moments, among other drivers. Diana, thank you for being here with me tonight.
9: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to be talking with you. Still driving sounds like a really entertaining book. Could you tell me all about it?
9: I grew up in Europe in Germany, and my father was a driving instructor so you know I, I used to ride with him he used to pick me up from school and I would observe his students uh, there were some funny moments overall the book is about my personal experience about driving and observing driving habits and car maintenance over you know more than more than forty years and I wanted to get a message out to people everywhere that being responsible, you need to take care of your your car, and you should obey the traffic rules, after all, that's what they're for. But then when I came here to America, where anything goes, I found that these rules just did not apply to some of these people, and that's how I came up with the idea of writing this book. Also, in um, 2017, I had a very serious car accident and I started to become even more aware of driving habits and car maintenance, you know, that belonged to other people. And that's when I started taking notes and uh, had the idea of writing this book to get a message out in a humorous way that people should take on some responsibility. In in Germany, you just don't see anyone driving around with a cracked windshield or, you know, the the rearview mirror is missing and there is no rubber on the tires. It's just not happening. If If they see you, they impound your car. You can't drive anymore. So that that was um, kind of shocking to me to see this here. Plus, there's stuff here because we're such a mobile country. Seeing a half a house on the road for the first time, it was just amazing to me. I'm like, wow, they move houses. It's just (laughs) unheard of in my country because the houses are built of brick and mortar, and you just can't move houses around like that. So it was quite an experience coming to this country.
0: Now, looking ahead, are you going to continue writing, pursuing publishing more?
9: Yes, I already wrote two more books. I got an idea on another one. It's a nutrition book. That's another book to get a message out that people should become more aware of what they eat because we have such an obesity problem in this country. Maybe people will realize what they're
0: doing to themselves. This book is called Still Driving by Diana Pengitor, published by Fulton Books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for your books. Well, Diana, thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on the show tonight. I had a great time talking.
9: So did I. Thank you, sir, for uh, giving me the opportunity, and I wish everybody out there uh, good luck with the book.
0: There's a new Christmas book out that offers the deal of a lifetime. It's called A Sweetheart Deal, God's Incredible Offer and His Unspeakable Gift. And the author, Dr. Ernan Norman, is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Ernan, thank you for being here with me tonight.
10: It's a pleasure to be here, sir, and to speak about this wonderful uh, book, A Sweetheart Deal.
0: Can you tell me all about it?
10: This book came into being through inspiration of my love of the Christmas season, number one. And over the years, I've always loved the early accounts of the Gospels on the birth of Christ and have read extensively, especially in a book, a classic, The Desire of Ages, which is one of the classics on the life of Christ. As I've grown from my home life through my adulthood and watching the shifts. In our cultural uh, leanings today, where people are more secular, it seems to have crept into the Christmas story, and I was inspired, you know, to write a book that would give a biblical account to highlight the the real essence of Christmas, what it's all about. And that, of course, is God's gift to us and the gift of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ.
0: About how long were you working on this, writing it and then getting it to print?
10: I would say about, about a two-year span because I, at the time when I was writing, I was also teaching as an associate professor. So in between all my commitments and teaching and other things, I took time to reflect and write this book. So it took me about two years to get it all together and then get it off to the publisher.
0: Have you been published before or have you written a book before?
10: Yes, I have written. My first book was written uh, in 2007. It was published. It's about reaching unchurched secular people for Christ, a strategy for reaching secular people. I've also written a second book to that one, this one focusing more on Jesus, where I'm emphasizing that the key to spiritual revival is to focus on Christ and the implications of that. And that is called Jesus Only, Rediscovering the Passion of Primitive Godliness recapturing the early church's experience in the gospel and making Christ the center of that experience, which was the case in the early church.
0: Did you intend this book for people who are churched or more for the unchurched audience?
10: I think it can go for both, because people uh, of all backgrounds, whether they consider themselves a Christian, maybe somewhat culturally uh, you know, religious, uh, whether or not they are secular, Around Christmas time, everybody's open to hearing the story about the birth of Christ and the reason for the season. And so yes, it, it's geared, it, of course, towards a broad Christian audience of various faiths and persuasions, but it also can appeal to the non-Christian professing people who might be open to learning, you know, what is the difference between really celebrating Christmas and having a secular view of what they call the holidays.
0: Would you have any advice for writers out there that maybe want to publish their first book?
10: One of the things I've discovered in writing is that writing is, involves discipline, but it's also a great deal of inspiration. If you're passionate about something, an idea, and you know it's going to make a contribution to the lives of people, and you want to get those ideas out there, my advice to you is to work on those ideas. Be disciplined and just follow, you know, your passion. Writing, you know, calls for sometimes tedious time where you have to be doing research, sometimes writing in lonely hours of the night. But if you stick with it, the joy of it is that once you're done, you know, you have gotten what is on your mind and heart down into published material and you're going to be able to touch lives. So I would advise every author to stay with their passion, with their inspiration and work on it and be steadfast and it will pay off.
0: So if you're curious about the deal of a lifetime here, or you're just looking to strengthen your faith, check this book out. It's called A Sweetheart Deal, God's Incredible Offer in His Unspeakable Gift. It's by Dr. Ernan Norman, and it's published by Fulton Books. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for your books. Well, Ernan, thank you for coming on the show with me tonight. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Thank you, sir. Addiction seems to be something we're hearing about more and more. And Dr. Rick Campana's new book, Chasing Dopamine, aims to help readers better understand addiction and recovery. Rick is here with me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Rick, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me what Chasing Dopamine is all about?
11: Chasing Dopamine is an instruction manual on how to survive addiction disorders, which is running rampant in the United States. And just so you understand a little bit about who I am, and I'll make this very brief, I'm a board certified fellow in addiction medicine. I myself am in recovery for many, many years. And I was prompted to write this book because I I promised myself once I figured out recovery, I would learn how to chase dopamine the right way. Dopamine is the magic chemical we're all chasing. God put it in our head to alter our behaviors. It's the chemical that makes us feel good. It's as simple as that. Every human being is chasing it. So addiction disorders are a genetic aberrancy or something went wrong with your gene. You have one letter that's off and it created this predisposition to getting addicted to whatever. And the book is essentially just, here it is, straight up in your face, the good doctor here shares his story in chapter one. And then I share my patient stories in chapter two about what I'm using is called medically assisted treatment using two drugs, three drugs, actually, suboxone, methadone and uh, naltrexone. And I'm trying to get rid of stigma. I'm trying to educate the public and just trying to save lives. And, and that's it. I had no you know, desire to write this book because I'm kind of lazy, <laughs> but my mother in heaven, uh, you know, she said, son, you got to write this book, because unfortunately, I lost one of my brothers. He was a brilliant man. I dedicated the book to him, to an opioid uh, overdose. Anyway, that's what it's about. Nothing nothing fancy, straightforward, easy read, 55 pages. All the money from the book is going to a senior dog sanctuary I'm establishing for uh, senior dogs in Charles City, Virginia. It's a nonprofit. It's getting ready to rock and roll.
0: What would you say is one of the things that is rampant out there that people believe about addiction or about recovery that simply isn't true?
11: That it's, you know, it's a selfishness, character defect, you know, you just want to get high all the time. It isn't. Nobody wishes themselves to get addicted to the extent of what I see. And the tragedy of this is, is that we have a heroin crisis. And... There aren't many docs that are helping me. I'm kind of by myself on the front line. I wish more of my colleagues would help me. But we have effective medication. We have treatment. There's so many ways of saving these people. And yet, I can't tell you how many people I've lost. And unfortunately, they're all under age 35. We don't need to have this. We can effectively treat these patients if we just get rid of this misinformation stigma. Please, read this book, okay? This book will save lives. guarantee you.
0: Well, that's fantastic. I encourage listeners to check this out. This is called... Chasing Dopamine by Dr. Rick Campana, published by Christian Faith Publishing. You'll find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and everywhere else you shop for books. Rick, thanks again for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you tonight.
11: Hey, me too, and, and thank you so much, and God bless, and everybody stay safe.
0: There's a new book in stores by Robert Deshaies II called Anthology, and I'm talking about it with the author right now, Welcome, Robert, to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Thank you for having me, Corey. Can you tell me about Anthology? Uh, it's 11
12: short horror stories featuring one of my favorite characters I've ever created.
0: Are these stories that you wrote all at once, or did you collect these over a period of time?
12: I collected them over a period of time. It was always meant to be in an anthology, and that's the title as well, so it kind of worked out.
0: So what inspired you to collect them all and then look to publish them? Definitely wanted a second piece of work out there
12: alongside my first book, Black Jar 22, and it kind of just worked
0: out. Where do you draw your inspiration from? Are there specific writers or maybe films or things like that? Probably some of my favorite creators like The Cronenberg or Stephen
12: King, a bunch of those classic films. They wanted to terrify people like that have resonated within our minds, you know, for a long time. That's definitely what anthology has set out to do. My own little, you know, Halloween or Friday
0: the 13th. Do you focus on a specific subgenre of horror, or do you cover more of a spectrum?
12: Cover most of the spectrum.
0: So when it came to editing this down and publishing everything, what was that process like? Was it a smooth one for you?
12: It was actually a very smooth one. After the first book, it went a lot smoother.
0: So when it comes to horror and then writing these stories, there's often a personal element behind them. Are there things that have happened to you in your life that you draw on when you write this? Oh, absolutely.
12: Yeah, there's, and each of the characters you meet, and there's actually quite a few. I jam-packed it with a bunch of human material, along with the supernatural and like the cult elements. And each of the characters have, you know, little bits of me. They... Feed into the fears that we all have, uh, and then some more specifically uh, specific fears that
0: I have. When you're writing, would you say writer's block is a problem for you?
12: Absolutely. On some days, and on some days, I've never heard of it.
0: What do you do whenever it strikes you and nothing is coming out?
12: Generally, I will close my laptop or close my notebook, and I will go sit on the couch and open up a book.
0: When you start a story, have you outlined it? You know how it's going to end, or do you just start writing and explore from there? Generally,
12: I have a basic outline, not too detailed. I know how it's going to end. I generally like to map out the end, but how to get there, I leave it up into my fingers as I type.
0: Looking down the road, are you writing more, thinking about getting more published?
12: Yep. I got a third book coming out in December called The Streets Run Red will be another horror book along the lines of Anthology. And then I also have a comic publishing company I'm getting off the ground.
0: This is Anthology by Robert Deshaies II, published by Fulton Books. You will find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you shop for books. Robert, thanks again for your time here today. I had a great time chatting with you. Thank you, Corey. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.